Welcome to Weekly Text-Based Tanya. We are on chapter... 47. 47. Chapter 47 is a continuation of 46. <coughs> it really is a continuation. Um, some chapters bring out new ideas. Since chapter 41, we've been speaking about awe and love and various meditations to induce various levels and types of awe and love. And each chapter brings a different type of awe and love. Uh, chapter 47 isn't bringing out anything new beyond what we were already introduced to in 46. It's uh, going deeper. So let's just review 46. 47 is a very short chapter. I think it's the shortest chapter in Tanya. So let's just review 46. In chapter 46, well, first of all, let me, let me quiz you. Uh, since chapter 41, everything we've been learning is about awe or love. So chapter 46, this is a, you have a 50-50 shot of getting this right. Was chapter 46 about awe or love? Love. Everything's always about both. Reciprocating love. So awe or love? Love. Okay, answer one question at a time. Okay, love. love. Now... What particular type of love? Reciprocating. Reciprocating love. Okay. And reciprocating love means, tell me how it works in one sentence. How does it work? Reciprocating love? Love because of something you've received or something? Yeah, you love as a response to feeling loved. And we said it's a really nifty trick because it's built in. It's the nature of the human heart. Is that the Kiddush Ha'elion? No. No. Sorry. It is Kalev Kemaim Aponim Alponim Kain Lev Ha'ish El Ha'ish Just like water reflects a face back to a face, the face that the water reflects to you is the face that's looking at it. So too, the heart mirrors back the emotions that are projected toward it. So when you feel loved, you feel loving toward the one who is making you feel loved. And we said it's just a built-in, it's a built-in uh, trigger. That's just the way we were made. And we also said that that happens no matter who shows you love, but if there's a discrepancy between the beloved and the lover, meaning the lover is on a higher level than the beloved, then it's going to compound the effect. It will only amplify the, the feeling. Wow, this great person loves me, and then the reciprocal response is that much more intensified. Okay, so we said that the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is a story of love. It's a love story. Um, not a romantic love story. We have those. We have Shira Shira, Manil Dedi Vededi Lee is a man and a woman. But uh, this is a bromance between. Bromance. I did not coin that term. That's a real phrase. This is a bromance between. Do you remember who was our. who are our. Uh, I learned a new term this week. 
but I forgot it. The term when you have <coughs> two protagonists. <coughs> you guys always put out water for me. I know, I we couldn't find, find any. <coughs> Wait or taste my soup. I'll get from the sink. I'll, I'll get water. Get water. <laughs> oh, no, the term is deuteragonist. Deuteragonist. Okay, I'm sorry. Deuteragonist. I'm sorry, the term is deuterogonist, and deuterogonist is the person of secondary importance. Deuterogonist. It's like Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is Mishnah Torah, is the repetition of the Torah. Is that like a second child? A second, well, sometimes. Am I a Deuteronomist? Some, are you a second child? Yeah. Yeah. So it could be. Okay. Yeah. Some, sometimes the second child is the golden child, though. Like and the. Like Batman and Robin, yeah. Robin would be the deuteragonist. Very good. You're too young for that. I, I mean, not really. Like Batman and Robin, you know, Robin. Right. So. Okay, but anyways. Yeah, I know. I was wrong. Okay. So in chapter forty-seven in the bromance, who are the two? Uh, Characters? And the, the characters in the bromance, in the in the in the marshal, in the marshal. So there was there was the the guy sitting on the garbage heap, yeah, and there was the king. Right. Okay. And that symbolizes Hashem and us. Yeah. Okay. And the story of the king coming down to the garbage heap and taking the guy off the garbage heap and bringing him to the palace and, and hugging him and kissing him. This is really the story of Hashem coming down to Mitzrayim, the most lewd place in the world, and personally redeeming us and not just taking us out of that terrible place, but bringing us to Har Sinai, which means to intimate union with him. And the kisses and the hugs are the Torah and the mitzvahs. that we used to unite with him. So that was Pedig Memvav. That was chapter 46. Okay, now, I'm going to warn everyone here. I'm a very intolerant teacher. <laughs> I'm going to tell you already what I've been thinking about for an hour is going to, like, ruin my day. Won't ruin my day, but it'll annoy me for five seconds. It doesn't have to do with us, does it? Yes, it does. Oh, That's why I'm telling you. If anybody says to me, no, you can interrupt, it's okay. <laughs> if anybody says that the idea in this chapter is obvious, I'm going to be very upset. And I'll tell you why. Because it's 2023. There are no new ideas. Everything here has already been proliferated in the world. So don't try to show off by saying it's obvious. It's obvious now. It's like someone watching a Charlie Chaplin film being like, that guy's supposed to be so good, everybody does those moves. Yeah, now. Okay, so please, let's just enjoy it. Let's pretend that you never heard this concept. 
don't say to me, I know this, this is obvious. Why is he even telling? At one time it wasn't obvious, okay? So let's just enjoy it with fresh eyes and childlike innocent wonder. <coughs> Could we do that? Okay. Okay. Vihinei, behold dervadar, v'chol yem v'yem. The Altarebbe adds that. In every generation, and every, every single day, the Altarebbe adds every single day. What? What's every generation, every single day? A person is obligated to see himself as if he had left Egypt today. Okay. I mean, that's in the Haggadah. Every single generation, we have to identify with the Exodus story. It's not just something that happened historically. And the Altarebbe adds not just in every generation, but every single day. How are we supposed to, this is what I want you to get excited about, or at least don't be cynical about it. Don't be jaded about it. <laughs> How are we supposed to relate to Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is something that's happening now. Certainly I can read about it and I can say, wow, that, that's amazing what Hashem did for us once upon a time. Well, what has He done for us lately? <laughs> ah. Okay, so here's, here's how the Altadab explains it. What does it mean, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? Because remember, if you're going to relate to Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, what's the point of... I just want to contextualize. What's the point of relating to Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? What's it going to do? Awaken the love. Awaken the love. Because Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, in our context, I don't want to hear any other symbolism of it. It's not relevant right now. What is the one important quality with which we would describe Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? It is an act of love. And when we think about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim as an act of love, what's it going to automatically awaken in us? The bromance, yeah, we're going to feel the love, okay? So that's the whole point here. The only sticky little issue here is, but it happened 3,300 whatever years ago, so how are we supposed to get into it now? Okay, so that's what we're addressing. How are we supposed to get into it now? So this is what he says. The he, and this, this, uh, Redemption from Egypt is Yitzias Hanefesh or Yitzias Nefesh Olakis Memaisra Guf Moshe Dechivya. It is the soul, the godly soul, escaping its captivity within the body, which is also, and you've heard, you've heard this term before, it's from the Zohar, the Alter Rebbe uses it sometimes, it's called the serpent's skin. The body is called the serpent's skin. So the soul, the beautiful princess, she is captive in the body. She's stuck there. But Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, not the historical Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, but the metaphysical Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim that happens in every generation, and indeed every day, is when the soul escapes transcends the limitations of embodiment. 
Likolo to be included within. The oneness of Hashem. How? How does that happen? Well, generally it's through learning Torah and doing mitzvahs. And especially when you receive the yoke of the heavenly kingdom when you say Shema. Because that, when you say Shema, is when you explicitly receive upon yourself Hashem's oneness and say Hashem is our God, Hashem is one. So when we learn Torah, whenever we learn Torah or do mitzvahs, and especially when we say Shema, we allow the soul to return to a state of oneness. In other words, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is happening again here and now. That's what I didn't want you to have a jaded response to and say, yeah, of course it is. I knew that. Of course Yitzhiyas, of course Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is happening every single second. I want you instead to say, wow, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is happening, or potentially, if you allow it to, every single second. That is so inspiring. Okay. You know, I'll tell you about my first world problems. <laughs> I didn't think those progressive bifocals were working. So I said, you know what, I'm done with the progressives. And I just got a standard prescription where there's no progressive. And now I can't read anything. But I thought the progressives weren't working. I was like, ah, they're not doing anything. Apparently they were. Because did you ever remember me having to take off my glasses? No, I didn't. Okay. Those are the ones you got in Florida when you're the other ones. Well, that's them. a very good guess, but no. No. <laughs> no. The, the Florida ones were a previous prescription. Oh. This is a newer prescription. But I'm glad that you remember the Florida story. That's, Can yeah. I ask you a hopefully not annoying question? Yes. <laughs> that, that imp, the daily or constant Yatias Mitzrayim that we're, you're saying it's yeah. my learning power during this one. Yeah. Um, that would imply then that that is... Hashem doing that and not our own accomplishment, like he came down to the triangle. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a very valid question. Yeah. Right, because, <laughs> no, I mean, let me, let me restate the question, which is, the whole premise here is we're thinking about something to make us feel taken care of, and, and we want to feel Hashem is showing us love, but your question is, well, hold on a second, is Hashem doing this or am I doing it? I'm the one learning Torah. I'm the one doing mitzvahs. I'm the one saying Shema. Okay, it's a very valid point. But here's... No, that's actually a great question. Okay. But the point of this is what Hashem is doing. It's got to be. I mean, that's the whole point here is I ha when I feel loved, when I feel like the object of love, I will feel loving. So here, here's what you have to focus on. The idea... And this is something we definitely take for granted. The idea that just learning Torah or doing a mitzvah has that effect of uniting you with God, that is not to be taken for granted. Who says that engaging in those activities has to inherently bring about the effect of reuniting the soul with its source? Now, we take it for granted because that's what happens, and it happens every time we do it. But 
you think it's happening just because you chose to engage in a human activity called Torah study or doing a mitzvah, devoid of the, the power that Hashem infuses into it, those activities don't inherently accomplish anything. So what is Hashem doing for us? What Hashem is doing for us is He gave us a, he gave us a, a carte blanche. He basically said, anytime you want to connect, here it is. I'm giving you the keys. I'm giving you the, the, the private number. So that's, you're saying very, very wisely, you're asking, well, hold on a second, I understand the point of this is to meditate on what Hashem is doing for me, not what I'm doing for Him. You're right. So what is Hashem doing for me? He's giving me this constant access that any time I want to just pick up the phone, so to speak, I've got access. Okay, that was, that was an important question. Thank you. Okay, let's continue here. And like we explained above, when we say our God, like our God, our God, that's our God the same way we say God of Abraham. When, when you say God of Abraham, you're saying, oh, Abraham was a pretty holy guy. Or God of Isaac, God of Jacob. When we say Elekeinu, we just gloss it over, but hold on a second. That statement, or the implicit statement, also says something about us. The fact that he's our God. Just like when you say God of Abraham, it's not just a statement about God, it's a statement about Abraham. So when we say Elekeinu, our God, it's not just a statement about God, it's also a statement about us, about who we are. What it means is, that the Aves, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're called, uh, it's called, God is called their God because they had this relationship of surrender, being one with, with God. And when we say Elokeinu, our God, it means we have that capacity as well of surrender. At least at the moment when we are learning Torah and doing a mitzvah, we're giving ourselves over as a chariot, as a conduit, a vehicle to the divine will. We're not doing what we would normally be doing. We're not asserting our will. We're giving ourselves over to God. So at that moment, at least, see, the difference is the, the obvious, we're constantly in that state. But for us, at that moment, at least, we're also surrendered. Okay. I got to get the progressives again. <sighs> the only difference is Avram merited to be at that level through his work. How did Avram get that access to be that surrendered and that united with God? He worked on it. He made his money the old-fashioned way. You know what that is? I remember that commercial. What is it? That's, I don't know if it's a commercial. I thought it was like Smith Barney or something. He earned it. Smith Barney. Yeah, John Houseman. Anyways. So Avramavino got his uh, bittle the old-fashioned way. He earned it. Was that good, John Houseman? Yes, very good. 
The kids love my John Houseman impression, by the way. It's a big hit with the teens. I told Rabbi Mayer I'll start doing teen program and do John Houseman impressions. <laughs> teens today, they I heard they're very into Paper Chase. Remember that? Yeah. Mm, that was amazing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Kamesha Kosov Isa Avram Holech Vinasayavagamer, like it says, and Abraham traveled southward. He traveled. The south is it doesn't actually say here, but that means chesed. Don't ask. When you're facing east, which is forward, so south is on your right and right is chesed. The point is that he traveled. Avraham worked his way up to that level. Did we work our way up to that level? No, not really. We are we are spiritual trust fund babies. Right. Yeah, we still have to activate it. That's right. But we are spiritual trust fund babies. Avramavino is the immigrant who comes over and he opens up an apple cart on the Lower East Side. You know about the guy, you lived in a tenement. You know about the guy, the immigrant, and uh, he sees his friend. They haven't seen each other since they came over from the old country. He says, how are you doing? And uh, I'm so poor. Oh, how are you? I'm so rich. I'm not telling it well, but, oh, you're rich. How do you become rich? Wow. He's like, well, I'll tell you how I became rich. I uh, came to this land, and I uh, saw a man selling apples. And I, uh, I worked the whole day until I could earn a nickel to buy an apple. And I bought that apple. And I polished that apple. And I polished that apple until it was bright and shiny. I sold that apple for six cents. I made a penny profit. And I did that five times. And I polished that apple. And I polished that apple. And I sold those five apples also for six cents. I made 30 cents. And I bought 30 apples and I polished the apple. And I polished the apple until the apple was shiny. Then I sold those apples for six cents. And then I bought, you can do the math, whatever, okay. Now he's got like hundreds of apples. And I polished the apple and I polished. The Is this the cart that tumbles or something? No, he says, I polished the apple. I polished the apple. Then my American cousin died and left me $10,000. <laughs> okay. So Avram Avino, he worked his way up. We inherited it. That's the difference. But the point is, we have access. And that's the love that we're supposed to be feeling, is that Hashem gave us this access. He gave us the private number. Anytime we want to call, we get to be one with him. Yes, we have to do something in order to trigger it. But again, don't take for granted the fact that our learning Torah and doing mitzvahs automatically gains that access. I'll say something that's not politically correct, but if there are, you know, there are like 7 or 8 billion non-Jews in the world now. So if a non-Jew decides to put on tefillin, does that afford the same metaphysical effect as a Jew putting on tefillin? No. Right, it doesn't have that structure behind it. So don't take for granted that 
when a Jewish person puts on tefillin, that that automatically has to accomplish something. We take it for granted. What does or doesn't? What doesn't? It automatically, we automatically... When, when, a, when a Jewish person does a mitzvah, it automatically accomplishes something. Don't take for granted that it does that. You know, you're acting like, well, I did it. I had to pick up the credit card and swipe it. Yeah, but who's paying the bill? And when God gives us the number, he, it's a working number. He picks up. He, you know, we yeah, yeah, don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what's your number? 555. You know that trick? You guys don't know about information? I got screamed at for calling 411. You're supposed to use the phone book. Remember 411? Yeah. It was so expensive. It was like 10 cents or something. And then the other way to call information was 555. So if you wanted to tell somebody a fake number, you would say 555-3728. No, 9. That makes it look more authentic. 555 was information. Probably still is. You know what? Um, 976, I think, were the paid conference call numbers. Don't call that. You get charged like $20 a minute or something. You were up to a lot of no good as a youngster. Because <laughs> I know that 976 is the paid conference call numbers. I think that's, that's good, clean fun. Okay. <laughs> well, what would, would be no good is you go to somebody's house and you call a 976 number and you leave the phone off the hook. Oh. I never did that. I never did that. I never did, I, I never did that. Or 1-900 numbers. <gasps> Remember that? 1-900 numbers? Yes. We okay. All right. No Okay, all right, enough of this American nostalgia. No, we're learning a lot. Okay, all right. You, you know, you're, what you're learning is like pop culture from 30 years ago. So it's not going to help you much. Yeah, it's not going to help you much. All right. All right. Some of us that were here don't. but us, trust fund babies. We got it as a bequest. We got it as a gift. We didn't earn it. He gave us his Torah. And he put within his Torah his will and wisdom. And his will and wisdom are completely one with him. In other words, he gave us the vehicle through which to become one with him. The Torah has within it his will and wisdom, and his will and wisdom are one with him. And through Taita, we become one with him. He gave us that access. And therefore, it is like he gave us himself. Taita is not a book written by God. Taita is God in book form. Hashem gave us himself. He didn't give us Taita. He gave us himself through the Taita. Or like we say, Anoichi, the first word of the Ten Commandments, I, I am the Lord your God, is the Rosh Tevis, is the acronym, Anonafshik Savis Yehovis. I gave myself, I wrote myself and gave myself through Torah. 
But he doesn't say, over here he says a different proof. He says, like the Zayar says, you know where it says in Parshish Truma, bring me Truma, or take from me Truma. So he reads it, the Zayar reads it literally. Take me, take me. Like, throw your mother down the stairs a towel. Right? Which is the direct object, which is the indirect object. So, take me truma. Normally, the, the shot way to read that verse, vikhuli truma, is Hashem is saying, truma, the donations are the direct object, li, for me, is the indirect object, like get it for me. There's a better one, it says. What? I bake my mother in the oven a cake. I bake my mother in the oven a cake. Right. That's the, the, right, that's the the prepositional phrase. Yeah, that's the misplacement of the prepositional phrase, yes. The point is, the Zoya reads it that Lee is the direct object. Not take a gift for me. Take me, Hashem says to us, take me. Here's how to take me. Here's how to get me. In other words, don't take a donation. Truma means a donation for me. It means take a donation and take me. Look there in the Zayar well. But it's one and the same. Take the donation. Take me. It's all one thing. The point is that Hashem gave us access to Him. To him. And that's what we mean when we say, you could read it like this, Hashem gave us in love, whatever he gave us. Or you could say, Hashem gave us, he gave us Hashem in love. He gave us himself. Because in the light of your face, you gave us, Hashem Alekeinu. Hashem Alekeinu here is the object, not the subject. Not the Lord our God gave us, but He gave us the Lord our God. Hashem gave us Hashem. He gave us Himself, meaning He gave us access to be one with Him. Now Avram was one with Him because Avram worked on that relationship. We have access because Hashem gifted it to us. And this is what is, again, remember the context of chapter 47. What's the whole point here? What's the whole point? Love. Love. To, the, lo, whose love? God. Hashem. Hashem's love for us. So where do we see Hashem's love for us? This access that He's giving us. And accordingly, there's nothing preventing us from being one with Hashem, except for your will. If a person doesn't want at all to be one with Hashem, to cleave to Hashem, God forbid, he doesn't even finish the sentence because it's so horrific. Who's stopping you? Oh, I want to be one with Hashem. Okay, great. Who's stopping you? He gave us, he, he, he gave us 24-7 access. The only thing, if you're not one with Hashem right now, you're choosing not to be. 
אבל מיד שרצה מקבל וממשיך הלאה ולכוסי יסבורך ואומר השם אלוקינו השם אחד but immediately when you do make that choice to receive השם upon you and you say the Lord is our God the Lord is one הרי ממילא נכללו או נכללס נפשי ביחודי יסבורך that immediately your soul becomes one with Hashem, and a soul draws forth a soul, a reciprocal action of another type, that when we reach out, he responds. And this is an exodus. So that's the answer to the question of, okay, chapter 46 builds me up to get all emotionally worked up about the story of the Exodus, but hold on a second, the Exodus happened so long ago, and the answer of chapter 47, and we're going to all be blown away by this, and pretend we never heard this before, is that Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is happening every day, and in fact, it could happen all day long, it could happen all day long, and any time we choose to transcend our current situation, whatever our situation may be, Whatever the conditions of our embodiment may be at this moment, there's nothing preventing us from choosing oneness with Hashem at this moment because He gave us that access. We don't have to say, oh, let's see if there's access available right now. Oh, there's no Wi-Fi. Uh, well, wait, I'll get in touch with you when I'm in a better spot, when there's, a, there's no connection out here. There's no reception. Wait until I'm in a better spot. No such thing. He gave us constant access. The only... The only thing preventing it is our own will. If we don't want, then of course, we have free choice. But as soon as we want, we have that access immediately. And nobody says, hold on a second. Let's see if he has time for you. Well, he's very booked up right now. Oh, it's very <laughs> convenient that you all of a sudden want to be one with Hashem. But maybe, you know, maybe he's booked up. No, that never happens. As soon as you want, he is there. And that's really the point of, you know, you're saying, well, where's the love from Hashem to us? We're the ones doing the mitzvahs and learning the Torah. Yeah, but why are you assuming that learning Torah and doing mitzvahs has that effect of making you one with Hashem? And why are you assuming that it always has the guaranteed effect? So the love of Hashem is the fact that it always has that effect and it's a guaranteed effect. And that's, that's not to be taken for granted. That's how we are beloved. And of course then once we recognize how loving that is of Hashem to make that access available at all times, then automatically the response is going to be that we will feel loving toward Him and that we will translate that love. We always say this anytime we speak about love of Hashem, but it has to be translated into doing loving things for Hashem, which is to do mitzvahs, which is... A virtuous circle in this case because when you realize that by doing mitzvahs you're one with Hashem you feel beloved and then that makes you feel loving and then by feeling loving toward Hashem you do mitzvahs and then you realize wow the fact that I'm doing mitzvahs right now the fact that that makes me one with Hashem is only because I am so beloved and that makes me feel more loving and that makes me do more mitzvahs okay let's finish up this chapter and therefore, that's why we read about the Exodus as part of Shema. You ever thought about that? It's funny. Even though remembering the Exodus is a separate mitzvah. It's not part of the mitzvah of Shema. 
Shema's a mitzvah. Remembering the Exodus is a mitzvah. Why do we put them together? Right, the last paragraph of the Shema is about, it talks about tzitzis, but it also talks about Yitzhiz uh, Mitzrayim. Why? Why, why? why are those put together? And this is a classic question in the Gemara and in the codifiers. Ellen, the answers mystically, because they're literally the same thing. Shema and the Exodus are one thing. Why? Because they both have the same exact effect, which is whatever your situation of embodiment may be, you can transcend that immediately simply by saying, Hashem Elekeinu Hashem Echad, Hashem is our God, just like he was Avram, Elekei Avram, Elekei Yitzchok, Elekei Yankiv, so he's Elekeinu, the same level of oneness that the obvious were able to have, we're able to have, not because we earned it like them, but because it was given to us, and Hashem Echad, we become one with him, absolute unity, that's what Shema is, and that's Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, going out of Egypt. The Egypt is the body. The Egypt is the, the limiting circumstances that the soul is subjected to in embodiment. The exodus going out of the Egypt is the fact that being in a body does not prevent you from being one with Hashem at this moment. Is that why people say the Shema before they pass on to the next world? That's a good question. That's a good question. It's just an act of surrender. Yeah, that could, that could very well be the answer. Yeah. Okay, we got one line here. Also, at the very end of Shema, it ends, the last words, I, I am the Lord, your God. And it's the same thing we said before about Hashem Alekeinu. At the end, Hashem says, I am your God, meaning... Just like Alekei Avram, that Avram belonged to God. He had that level of surrender. He became one to God, one with God in that manner. So, Hashem says, I'm giving you the same access. Same access that Avram had, you have. And again, just to repeat it, not to, be, uh, not to belabor the point, but when we realize that we have this access, how does it make us feel? More loved. Loved, yeah, yeah. And when we feel loved, what automatically happens? We, love we will love more. We feel loving back toward the one who loves us. And that's it. So this is a method toward feeling more love toward Hashem. That's, that's what it is. Yeah. Okay, that's the end of chapter 47.